This is the Macworld Podcast, episode 520 for August 10th, 2016. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to the Macworld Podcast, your source of news about things happening in the summer to your favorite company, or perhaps one of your favorite companies. I don't know who the rest are. Maybe Nabisco. I can't predict Pillsbury. Some days varies. Uh, I'm Glenn Fleischman, the slightly random human being who is a senior contributor at Macworld, and joining me is Susie Oaks, the executive editor of Macworld. Hello, Susie. Hi, Glenn. How are you? What's your favorite brand? My favorite brand is, um, I don't know, Paw Patrol. Brand? <laughs> uh, yeah. My favorite brand is Tito's Vodka. Oh, there we go. That's good. That's good. Uh, I'm I'm blessed with a name that is attached to many products. Uh, Fleischmann, oh yeah, Fleischmann's you guys make good stuff. Whiskey, yeast, mayonnaise. My my empire. All the <laughs> my and you mix all those all together, and you get an incredible drink. Yeah, it's quite oh, a party. Don't drink the Fleischmann. So uh, we last week, just to remind listeners, we had a great conversation with Gene and Gray. Gene Gray, wait a minute! It just struck me the two of them I together know. are an X Man. Yes. <laughs> well, anyway, now we know. Uh, their superpowers have been revealed. Gene and Gray from uh, App Camp for Girls, and uh, we spent uh, the episode talking to them about the program that they're doing uh, in now multiple cities to help uh, fix some of the issues with uh, getting women into technology fields and mentoring them. It's a I great think program. they're in the OC this week, doing their, their App the Camp OC. OC. Yeah, and it's so get shout out to all them bigger and better. Uh, so that was that was great to talk to them about pedagogy and education and what kids are trying to learn. Um, so Susie, speaking of um, you know things that are really cool that are going on, so have they called you yet to be a judge on Planet of the Apps? <laughs> I'm expecting that would be amazing. No, they have not. Um, it sounds like their plan, their panel is uh, is is set here if it's a three person panel. So they have okay. So oh. Planet of the Apps is going to be Apple's first. Um, uh, original content that they're making for Apple Music and I mean maybe if they launch a streaming service it would be on that too but um they're they're doing it for Apple Music right now um along with you know they they bought Carpool Karaoke and then Dr. Dre is making his like orgy show but anyway Planet of the Apps is like a reality show kind of like you know your your Project Runway or your Shark Tank or whatever for app developers so Gwyneth Paltrow has just been um, announced as one of the mentors along with uh, Will I Am and Gary Vaynerchuk oh, oh so, yeah yeah him I, yeah. I, I, I so we've got a famous guy a famous woman and a you know famous nerd yeah, he's but he's uh, he's considered pretty um, hot stuff, right? That's my understanding. Like he's uh, he knows he uh, he was a big investor in Uber, Twitter, Tumblr, Meerkat. So yeah, some big names. Yeah, I mean, I've I've heard of him, and I you know I'm I'm not really into the investor scene. So that's my same reaction. Oh yeah, yeah. He's I've read some profiles of him. He's a very interesting, dude. Um, uh, much more varied background than a lot of VC people who like come, you know, he came from Belarus and uh, his, he didn't like, um, you know, he was running a liquor store after college. Like he didn't, uh, wasn't given a million bucks or a hundred million dollars. Here, go manage some funds. He really fought his way up and uh, created a social cool. media agency. Yeah. Anyway, it's an interesting guy. <clears throat> now, Will I Am is a seriously digital dude. I've, I've heard about his work. He was, uh, wasn't he the creative director at, um, uh, for Intel or something? Is he still? He can't still be. I don't know. He, he launched a wearable that wasn't any good. But yeah, he's but, been into the tech scene for years. Yeah, no, but Gwyneth, and then this is no insult to her at all. Um, she seems to be all up into the lifestyle thing. I don't know about her app connection. I know about her. I don't know what her technology interest is, but she's got her finger on the pulse of what people are looking for in terms of lifestyle stuff. And that you know, it's not a knock. It's not like oh, she's a lady, so she does. <laughs> lifestyle things like she has a lifestyle site. She's got a brand group, and she's always telling yeah. people to stick stuff in there. Well, I'm talking about that, but uh, oh my yeah, gosh, uh, she's got a lot of advice that is perhaps uh, the gynecologists that I know on Twitter are never very happy about. If you're interested in great gynecology advice, go to Jen Gunter for her take her uh, <laughs> breakdown. I'm sure, that's very interesting to everybody. But uh, uh, so she's she courts controversy with her alternative. Uh, treatment ideas that uh, and hygiene ideas but um, she's very obviously very poised I've seen her interviewed many times she's extremely charming she's very very bright and I think she'll have a lot uh, to say but what an interesting panel 
Yeah, well, and I mean, they need people who would be good on TV as well. And she's she's really good. Like she was on Glee and she was really great on that. She's a good actress. So I think, you know, she could be like maybe the the one who talks the most or the, the one who kind of like leads us through. It's a Shark Tank style thing. But I mean, it, it's probably not just going to be a straight up Shark Tank ripoff. Yeah. Um, I'm, I'm hoping she's going to, you know, that they're, they're going to do some they're calling them mentors. So. So the Shark Tank guys seem more like judges to me or something. Like they're not really like helping them. So when I heard the word mentor, I pictured more of like, you know, well, a Tim Gunn yeah. relationship. I will watch but, a show with the Tim Gunn situation. Yes. Or, or Everyone like, loves Tim Gunn. Um, I think we, she would be a good Tim Gunn. Ben Folds also. I, I didn't actually watch that show, but I heard that yes. Ben Folds, that the voice? Uh, yeah. Yeah, that he was actually in there. He's deeply empathetic and he was working with people. He's helping to not, he wasn't snarking. And I think uh, we don't need a Simon Callow we don't need somebody who's, you know, I, I think I actually always loved um, Project Runway. I watched seasons early on. I haven't watched it for a bit. But it wasn't just Tim Gunn. It was uh, all the folks, uh, Nina from, um, uh, I'm blanking all the people's names, of course. But all the, the designers who were on the panel were actually typically very complimentary or had good insight. Or a great British baking show, Mary Berry and Paul Hollywood, great names. That kind of approach where you're not saying, oh, you suck. It's like, here is what we're trying to achieve. And here mm-hmm. is where you met the mark. Bravo. And here's where you didn't. But this is what you could do to make this work. You know, it wasn't like, oh, this tastes terrible. It's like this doesn't have the delicacy I expect from this kind of specific cake project. And that's a very different thing. So I hope it's like that. Push you to do better and that that kind of thing. Um, And I mean, just if if they were all three, the the mentors extremely techie, that might, you know, be be a disservice a little bit because I think it's good when you have developers, you know, they, they need to get perspectives from from outside the bubble sometimes. So yeah. so Gwyneth could bring some of that too. It should be an interesting show. Um, I'm not cons- uh, uh, currently an Apple Music subscriber, but, you know, I love TV and, you know, I want to pay attention to this. So, I, I, you know, I don't know if a lot of people would subscribe to get this kind of original programming from Apple. They haven't really proved that that's a thing that they do yet, but... But, you know, I'm, well, I'm definitely going to be checking it out. May have to launch our recap, uh, Planet of the Apps recap podcast. Oh, yeah, that'd be fun. Yeah, a little, little flashcast. Um, yeah, I, I'm not subscribed to I love to recaps. I have a couple of shows oh. that I buy, like, just because I love the recaps so much, Real Housewives. Oh, well, there we go. Well, maybe we have Real to. Real Caps on Vulture by Brian Moylan. Check them out. They're let's amazing. see. We might have to do a Macworld, Macworld recap of Planet of the Apps. It's a thought. We did a little um, uh, like Silicon Valley recap in the first season oh, back on Tech Hive. Yeah. Tech Hive still had you know more topics that we covered, but that, uh, that was kind of canceled between well, seasons one and two. I'm curious whether or not we'll see uh, developers we know. Like, are we going to see people who are- That would be cool, right? Like Paul Kafastas from Rogue Amoeba with a new idea. I mean, not that they're not, a, he's super established, obviously. Or is it going to be all James venture- James Dempsey, that would be cool. Yeah, venture capital type. Like, who? what are the people they're going to bring up there? They're going to be looking for, you know, it's a reality show. So, ostensibly, yeah. they're going to find people like Shark Tank who, uh, you know, I know someone was on Shark There's Tank. There's an open casting call. You can still apply. They're taking applications through August 26th, and then they're, uh, they're going to have um, they're going to invite people to meetings in San Francisco, Los Angeles, Austin, and New York. It's a really I wonder if like the, the selection process will also be televised in an American Idol kind of thing. I mean, American Idol does that for like many episodes, I think. I'm not really an Idol watcher, but like Project Runway will have like, you know, one episode about like the very final casting, you know, selecting and then and then they'll get into the the show from there. So, yeah, that would be kind of cool if if there was we even got to see some of how they pick people. But I just can't figure out, you know, the thing that I can't figure out what's going to happen with it is like who is the target person who appears on the show. So on Shark Tank, um so I know somebody who's on Shark Tank and they already had a thriving business is uh, Jesse Janay uh, and uh Stefan uh, Ango was uh is her partner, business partner um at um I have to say the name of the place. Is it Lumi? There's there's all these Lumas, Lumos, Lumis. Mm-hmm. So yeah. they do a they do a uh, light uh, a sunlight sensitive or light sensitive uh, t-shirt ink, basically fabric ink, and it's a very interesting thing. So you paint it. And then you wash it, and the stuff that wasn't exposed to sun goes away. And so they were on. A, I watched her segment on a Shark Tank thing, and she's she is um, very good presenter. She's got an enormous amount of energy, and I think they were looking for like a next round of uh, funding. 
But that's a whole different thing than like somebody, you know, who's an active developer who's got apps out there and they're like, well, we're trying to do something new. So I don't know. I'm curious what the, uh, you know, it's, there's a venture capital component of this, but I'm curious what kind of developers will come into it. Do they have to have a prototype? Do they have to have a programming team? Is this a way to pitch an idea with some business model? Like, I'm just really curious. Uh, the, the advanced word says what developers make it the final round will meet with VCs who are investing up to $10 million. Developers are not required to take money or give up equity. So I don't know what it's going to be. I'm really curious. We'll yeah, watch I mean, it. They, they get hands-on guidance and I'm sure they get, you know, some kind of funding. So I'm sure there'll be sort of a range of motivations. Like some people like with Shark Tank, I mean, some, sometimes they come in with a deal where you're just like, here's just trying to get on TV. Like that's not a serious deal, but sometimes they're really serious and they're really trying to grow their business. And it'll probably be like that, you know, like any reality show, there's some people who are just like, <laughs> that's just need, the, need the attention and other, other people who are like really serious about the concept and, They'll pan, yeah. they'll pan to a shot outside of like the 50,000 developers who didn't sell any apps this month. Like just people standing there crying. Um, that'll be the reality part of the show. I mean, it is the problem. It's like the concept is only – I mean there are only big winners now. And the uh, this is an ongoing conversation. We should probably get some developers on to talk about this They don't have to be point. in the developer program to apply, but they oh, have good. to be to be on the show. But the ongoing thing is they developers – do a little video. It's very hard to make an app that succeeds beyond uh, – like succeeds at all, even to the point of making it worth your investment. Some do very, very well, but a small number do. Sustainable apps are harder to make, and most of the people – who I know, who are or most of the companies that I'm aware of that are doing well in the app space are doing bespoke apps for other companies that typically need a um, they need a uh, an app like a bank or something. They need an app mm-hmm. that's free, it's user service, and they hire a firm to make it so they don't have to build a division in house. And I think a lot of the most successful app firms, like Icon Factory, we love them. They may they've been around for a long time. They just released a couple apps. I wrote about uh, uh, Craig Hockenberry was deeply involved in, uh, including that Bitcam. Uh, but apps are a sideline. They actually do make most of their money doing custom uh, icons and similar things for other companies. So they just did Facebook's emoji uh, redraw was a, an icon factory project, and they were able to talk about it publicly when it was done. Um, but they're not out there trying to, you know, they're not out there selling Twitterific as their primary means of making a living. So Planet of the Apps will be interesting in that it's going to highlight obviously the success side of it, like raise a bunch of money, sell a bunch of stuff. But um, the truth is very sad down the trenches. I think. An ongoing problem Apple needs to help with. Well, that was depressing. I'm sorry I finished on a depressing <laughs> note. A uh, couple. Hopefully, we, the show will be fun and not depressing, but we'll see. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> I'm moving a couple. We have a spreadsheet we talk about here. I'm moving a couple topics oh. around because I think we should talk about um, Apple. Like, oh my gosh, it all just disappeared. Glenn's cutting and pasting I in am, front of my as eyes. As we talk, because I just realized the thing we should talk about next, I think, is. Um, the uh, Apple Fast Company interview. Did you get a chance to read that? It was no. long. It was yeah, long. let's talk about it. <laughs> it was long. Well, let's talk. We'll come back to it. Uh, no, it's a, it was a long interview. I managed to – last night I went and uh, – Right, I think it just came out on Monday. Maybe um, it's a very interesting story. So, uh, uh, couple, you know, Apple in the past used to be very famously closed. You know, closed mouth. Steve Jobs would talk to some people. They controlled access very tightly. Katie Cotton was uh, head PR person there, and uh, and she really limited access and controlled a message and they uh, don't have the press in a state of fear but there is this issue about like not apple wasn't uh it wasn't capricious like it wouldn't cut off access for a bad story most of the time although actually now i think about it i know several cases in which they did um but it was more about like you know if you wanted access uh you know you had to be an outlet of a sufficient size and importance to them you had to play the rules and they often just didn't provide comment now they're opening up they invite reporters to the campus they have meetings um they show things off johnny ives is on you know we'll do videos like you know video interviews in his lab and things like that uh so this latest one fast companies the uh the fellow who wrote becoming steve jobs quite quite liked it had some uh, that was the book that came out we did a book uh, club on uh, last year and uh I didn't think it was perfect, but I thought it got closer to the reason Apple did well and, and Jobs' uh, success than anything else. And this is a, an in-depth interview with Tim Cook, uh, Eddie Q, and uh, – Craig Federighi. I was going to say the guy with the hair. Isn't that terrible? And, it, <laughs> and I feel like they're relatively – a lot of good hair over there. He knows uh, – uh, I'm so sad. I'm blanking on the name of the writer. It'll come to me in a second. Uh, he knows – the company well enough. Sorry, Rick uh, uh, Tetzeli, or Tetzeli, I don't know how to pronounce that. Um, he knows the company well enough, and he's been working on stories about them long enough that he is able to pierce some of the 
you know, smokescreen and ask them questions where he gets a knowing look or a laugh before they sort of then give him the official response. Um, and that's a good story. You should read it. I mean, I think the big thing. It's big really take- well written. Big takeaway is the reason we have public betas of OSs now is because of Apple Maps. I mean, that's kind of a funny admission. Um, and I'm they're not sure they said that before. Poor Scott Forstall under the bus. Like they're not even like you know saying his name this time, but they're just like yeah, you know. Maps. Well, it was kind of his. He was supposed to. I mean, uh, I'm going to tell a very brief I know, but personal it was so story. So long ago, let the guy you know live. <laughs> well, yeah. Although I mean, they didn't. Yeah, it's. I mean, that's a management problem. The reason Apple Maps went badly wasn't because of Forstall. It's because Forstall was given the power. He said, "I, I got it," and they said, "Great." And then nobody checked up on him. It's sort of, I mean, that's not exactly and the story, but it's- in this interview, they say like, you know, it worked really well around where we all live and work. So we just didn't, you I know, know. I know. And that we was- didn't test well. But like, it's hard for me to believe that they didn't think like we should test. They, they just didn't realize how they, bad the data was. so much. But if you remember, now this interesting thing, I think between with iOS, uh, what did Maps come out? That was iOS 6. Is that right? 6. Yeah, yeah, I think so. So iOS 6, they had a lot of stuff that was going on. Some stuff wasn't working. And then Maps happened, I think, in the middle of them still trying to figure out a direction they like um i don't think the os release was that uh that was the one before mavericks where 10.8 i think there were all kinds of stuff going on and i feel like they uh just didn't have the time to devote to thinking about it and then after that after forest salt leaves right then johnny ive takes over uh ios develop or the uh you know interface and we suddenly have the flat designs ios 7 is totally different not really mature ios 8 starts to get us there um it's the middle of a really difficult I think in the development history. Uh, mm-hmm. But here's the thing that gets me is that this article says, I'm still baffled by it, says Forstall had overseen dozens of people working in relative isolation. Several thousand people now work on maps. Now I have to call BS on that because that's not right. I don't know what that means. Several th- Apple has 110,000 employees worldwide. Several thousand are not working on maps. They may have contractors and people out in the field to provide information or, you know, I don't know, something, but several thousand people are not working on maps. That's just not, I don't know. I thought what the software teams there were like famously small. Like yeah, there's like two guys who make the keyboard or something. He's the Rick got something wrong there. I, I don't, I mean, they may have said to him, we have several thousand people involved in maps now by which they meant they, they have and contractors. They opened a development center in India that was all about maps, wasn't it? Yeah. So I wouldn't be surprised if they have a couple hundred people working on it. I knew someone who was on the team who's not on it anymore. Or I don't know how big it was, but you know, it's like they—it's not a small project. You know, Nokia, yeah. big hunk of Nokia's opera, not a big hunk, but a chunk of its software operations at one point were devoted to maps because they were selling that as a resource. Um, but it's not Apple doesn't have like five thousand people full time working on maps. They have probably maybe even could be several hundred people working on it full time worldwide, and then they have other people testing and doing other work. They may have contractors they call in or people doing, and maybe that they're referring to all the war driving they do. They may have people out there, like a fleet of several thousand people among different companies who get paid minimum wage or in whatever country to drive. I don't know, but there's a scale problem there. Like they only, you know, well, opera- no, I found it. It's uh, last uh, last month in May, a couple months ago, they announced um, that uh, when when Tim was over in India, yeah. they said they're setting up by early next year a fa- a facility in Bangalore. Oh wait, that's the different one. But they're also um, doing a uh, a development center for maps that they said will is just on maps and um, could create up to four thousand jobs. So maybe they're really? you know. Lumping all those in, yeah. I, then I stand corrected. Up to 4,000 jobs and just on maps. See, I don't understand the – I don't understand what they're doing. I mean, I don't mean that in a nasty way, but I mean like I understand how mapping works and then there's software development. But like what are 4,000 people actually doing in one place working on maps? We don't know. Maybe we'll find out. Maybe we'll find out. That's – I mean – are people going in and like doing? Because hand- they've got those, they've got those cars going around with the cameras on top, so they're probably you know doing working on their own kind of street view sort of thing. Yeah, but I just think it just adds up. That is a well. So this means, I mean, think about how much Apple is spending on maps, and it's like hundreds of billions of dollars a year. Yeah. When you get a scale that size, thousands of people. Yeah, from the IDGNS uh, report, it said that they didn't disclose the size of the investment, but some reports placed it at twenty-five million. Yeah, which wow. seems like. Not very much, but, you know, they're building it in India, so. Yeah, well, it's also, yeah, it's just, uh, hmm. I mean, this article makes the case. There's actually quite a bit about maps in it, about how it ties in with artificial intelligence. Now, Apple almost uh, abandoned maps after the debacle. They thought they were going to walk about, you know, walk away from it. Um, 
And they said, no, no, actually, this is wrong. We have to have maps working because it is key to everything we're going to do. So we're going to make it work. And I use maps now and I think it's actually fine. I typically use Google maps because I like the feature set better. Um, but I'm sure there are most people use maps because it's built in. I switched primarily from Google Maps and Waze over to Apple Maps when I got my watch because I just oh, love the little watch tapping thing. And obviously that only works with Apple Maps. So, But it's been pretty good. And I'm even using the beta, so it's a totally redone version. The data seems like it's the same, but the app looks different. Um, they moved the buttons around, changed the whole, you know, layout and interface in iOS 10. And I really like it. Um, it's, you know, it's kind of a battery drain right now, but it's also a beta. So I think that they will fix that. But um, yeah, I've been using iOS 10 and watchOS 3 maps. It's pretty good. So. Well, I would say... Uh, I'm glad that they're doing these public betas. Me too. So it's, Lots it's of stuff more stable out. when it comes out. Uh, I think yeah. So make sure uh, give it, give this a read if you're interested in Apple uh, history, Apple's current thing. Oh, another interesting part too is the focus on services. Um, there's a great quote here that uh, oh gosh, I didn't realize this. Horace Dedu is working for the Clayton Christensen Clayton Christensen Institute for Disruptive Innovation. I didn't know that he'd been independent for a long time. I didn't realize he'd taken a job. Um, he's the guy behind Asimco. Uh, he's been doing really. He left. Uh, was at Nokia years ago. He publishes these amazing charts and does incredible presentations about lots of disparate information about the mobile world and money, finances, units, and things. Um, how fascinating. Anyway, <clears throat> nice tidbit. So, um, uh, did you said that uh, Apple uh, delivers $40 a month, or customers of Apple deliver $40 per month a piece to the company versus pennies for Facebook and Google and a few dollars a month for Amazon? And that's accelerating because they have additional, you know, Apple keeps adding services that are recurring. Revenue from services is now 12% of sales, up for 9%. Um, Apple's service revenue exceeds Facebook's total revenue. And Cook, is, Cook said, oh, yeah, I expect it to be huge, he says, smiling. So, you know, this is the new Apple direction. Is they're going to start charging us uh, for things that recur? Yeah. I mean, the iCloud's getting more tempting because they're building it into more and more things. Uh, I remember when they were announcing Mac OS Sierra and they talked about um, that uh, storage saving feature where it could look at your hard drive and say, OK, these files you never use, I'm going to offload these to iCloud. And I think it didn't really sink into me that this was going to take like extra iCloud storage, but I was really excited oh, about it because yes. I drive a MacBook Air and I'm always out of storage. And yeah, so... So then when Roman wrote, you know, a little preview about it that's up on Macworld.com, um, I read it and my heart kind of sank. I was like, man. So and then uh, I think David, uh, David Chartier is uh, is writing, uh, has written some blog posts about he's um, switching from Dropbox over to iCloud and kind of, you know, writing about that process because, yeah, iCloud is just becoming so essential as a service just with all these, you know, there's more and more integrations with every update. And if you opt out and just go, no, I'm sticking with Dropbox, I'm sticking with, you know, Google Drive and all these third party kind of things that are cheaper. Because um, right now, yeah, I have all my photos in Google Photos, I have all my files in Dropbox, but the way Apple just keeps piling more stuff on the iCloud and yeah, that's, that, that's gotta be a big, a big boon to their services bottom line. Well, that's the, uh, there's a funny thing that came up too is, uh, well, we can put it in the show notes that Apple, um, or, sorry, Google made fun of Apple over this. They did this ad that got released uh, over the weekend, I think it was. I haven't actually watched it yet. Isn't that funny? Uh, I hear everybody talking about it. I'm like, this is how much time I have. I can't uh, not watch an ad. But uh, it was an ad showing, uh, uh, making fun of how um, the iPhone, iOS devices run out of storage for photos because you know, you have to enable iCloud. You have to pay for storage above the five gigabytes that comes with it. And Google is just like, we're just going to, you know, use your Android phone and just stuff streams to it or enable Google Photos on your phone and just, you know, you have an infinite amount of storage, right? Um, and I think that's, I think you and Jason Stell and a bunch of other people have been talking about this now for years. The Apple's strategy about not giving people enough basic storage is going to bite them in it because people get that, your iCloud storage is full uh, message, and it's not a very friendly message. You know, It's not like, hey, great, your iCloud storage is full. It's like, oh, here's a problem for you to solve. 
And uh, we're not really going to tell you very much how. And also, the pricing is ridiculous. I don't want to get a bill for ninety nine cents or two dollars a month. You know, charge me twenty bucks a year. I know how much. You know, even at Apple Scale, it costs them something to collect each charge. It's cheaper for them to get paid ahead of time in one transaction. It's more efficient. They get used to the money for longer, and I'm less irritated. I'm not going to suddenly switch every month from 200 gigabytes to you know 50 gigabytes or a terabyte of storage. There's no like yearly option. It's only monthly. No, if you're grandfathered, there is. And the minute uh, you change anything, you lose the grandfathered option. You can no longer do yearly. And you, I forget, they used to have more tiers before they went to the current system. That's uh, or they had smaller mm-hmm. tiers. And and then you look at also what they're charging is excessive compared to Google and Amazon. And they're all operating at the same scale. So um, Apple needs to reform its pricing. It needs to charge less, offer more, uh, give more basic storage free to people who buy iOS devices, and offer yearly pricing. Very simple. Do it. Boom. All set, right? We've solved Apple's problems. Uh, we sure have. You're welcome, Apple. You're welcome. Um Diversity report, one other thing, uh, that came out this week as well. Apple is, uh, like a lot of companies in Silicon Valley, has been trying to um, reform how it recruits, basically. Like, it's not, it, this is an ongoing problem, something we talked about in the App Camp for Girls interviews as well, is that uh, people are being left out not because of, um, you know, this is different than, let's say, affirmative action. People have different feelings about this, like political issues. Like, there's one thing to say, um, the Supreme Court just affirmed it, right? Anyway, but there's one thing to say uh, that historically uh, groups that have been historically underrepresented or discriminated against should receive different consideration uh, for admission to college. Say, like that is one topic, right? Diversity hiring isn't about that at all. It's how do we solve our problem as companies, as corporate America, in that we are excluding through implicit uh, sexism and bigotry. Uh, people who are absolutely qualified and we're taking less qualified candidates because we're doing our process wrong. That's really what diversity is about. People want to say, well, you shouldn't hire black people because they're black. It's like, well, that's not, you know, that's not what it is. It's, we are not. Hire the most qualified person. It's like, that's, you know, no, you have to have lots of perspectives and the the systems are set up to not really identify the most qualified person. Yes, that's it. Right. So, you know, it's not that people of color are less qualified than they're not, they're Caucasian peers or white peers, it's that um, it's that the process is set up in, the, in, a, in a bad way. And so Apple, you know, Apple's tried to take some lead on this. It still has sort of bad numbers, just like a lot of Silicon Valley. But in the latest report, they're now 54% of the people they're hiring are essentially non-white, non-male. And that's uh, there's some various combinations, uh, but achieve some of their goals. You know, and so over time, that will improve things. And this is the whole mentoring thing too. The more people and the people who you could trust. So if you're interviewing at a company and they have people who represent you in the company, then you're more comfortable with that experience. And a lot of, uh, frankly, white men never experience this. Some do, some don't, but uh, that uh, they are concerned about how they'll be treated, concerned about the corporate culture, concerned about sexual harassment, concerned about racism happening inside the company, whether it's tolerated. And if you see more representation of people who are not all of one category of person, uh, the more likely you are to believe that it's a place you should work and has a, um, what's the word, a uh, saltatory effect? No, it's a uh, a virtuous cycle. That's it. Um, I saw an article in uh, New York Magazine, and I'm going to put it in the show notes because it was fascinating about this very issue. And it was talking about um, a question that Google uses to predict the success of job candidates. So they have hired a lot of people, they've asked a lot of questions, and they have figured out that there's a correlation between the answer you give to this question and your future potential success at the company, but there's a gender difference. Oh, I saw, yes. So the the question (laughs) is, on a scale of one to five, rate yourself as a software engineer. And then for a man, the best predictive answer, the best answer as far as like predicting future success at the company is four. Because they want someone who thinks they're really good, but is maybe self-aware enough to realize that they're not, you know, God's gift. And that's a signal, not the only signal, but a signal that maybe he realizes he has something to learn. And that's positively correlated with success at Google. Mm -hmm. A little humility is a desirable quality. But if you're a woman and you interview at Google and they ask you this question, Google wants the answer of five 
because women tend to underestimate their abilities and they want to know, you know, the, 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 the most predictive answer for success at Google would be if you are a woman who, you know, is super confident in your own abilities, confident enough to, you know, look at an interviewer and say, I'm a five out of five. And so that is, you know, they're not asking this to be sexist. The people asking this question aren't sexist. Like, it's not a question of, you know, hire the best person. It's just like, this is, you know, an indication. This is, you know, a little taste of just some of the problems that that these reports are, are, are trying to identify and root out because it's, you know, that's, that wasn't set up to be sexist, but that, that ends up being kind of sexist. Well, yeah, if they can, if they're not, yeah, if they use it as a predictor or they, if they're testing it later to figure out how people do and perform, but of course then you get in the question of like, they say that, but um, if you're doing clinical research, you have to. People doing the interview know this, you know, so they're going to like, they're going to hear a woman say four and they're going to be like, right. And also it's going to be a little strike against her, even if it doesn't like go into if they, I don't know if they do like a scoring system or whatever. Well, when you do the analysis later to find out how people perform, you know, are the people doing the analysis aware of the scores? They wear the gender, they wear ethnicity, all these things. It's, it is funny. I've seen responses to that article ranging from the like, huh, to the, well, great. This just sets a higher bar for women <laughs> also, or you go to Google, you just say, yeah, five, just go and say, how do you rate yourself? Five. If you're a woman. Okay. We're hiring you. Like what? That's probably yeah. not the process, but, um, yeah, I just think that- I mean, like questions like that. It's like, it's, it's, it's not like an unfair question, but it's like when you, when you hear that question, you know, that they're, they're asking you, more to see what you'll say than like for your actual answer. You know what I mean? Like it's more about what your answer says about, I don't know. It's just such a mind. They're all such mind games. It's really frustrating. Yeah. I'm glad I, uh, glad I haven't had a job. I've been unemployed for many years. You see? <laughs> uh, and this is why um, I, I want to retire. Yeah. Well, you know, just, uh, break yourself a five and they'll just give you all the money and you're all done. Right. Yeah. Um, yeah, I don't know. The whole the whole thing is fascinating. If I go on this app reality show and I really exactly. hit it big. You can raise money and then just work twenty four hours a day for the rest of your life to get yeah. the app successful. It's, it's perfect. the American dream. Uh, so let's see. We've had a couple of things. Oh yeah. So uh, uh, let's talk about a couple small stories, and we want to talk about. You're some just doing t- topic grab bag now. He's like cutting well, and pasting summer. all over the place. This is summer. Oh, I'm fixing something in the spreadsheet as we talk inside okay. inside baseball. Uh, iPhone. We should get like a twenty sided die and just roll it and be like, now Apple TV. Well, it's this time of year. It's <laughs> tricky. Oh, I did want to talk about uh, bug bounty before we go on to other topics. I'm going to move move that up on our list. Um, so Apple announced uh, surprisingly that could be another good reality show. Bug, bug bounty. hunters. Oh bug my god. Bounty. That's right. The clock is ticking. Will uh, crackers discover this uh, zero oh, day exploit? Before uh, the bug hunters do. Um, yeah, it could be like 24 mixed with Dog the Bounty Hunter mixed with Flipping Out. This is, I don't know. Eddie Q, call I me. I don't know those shows. Uh, I don't watch enough. To, I, click, I don't have cable, so I don't know what this is about. We'll talk about cable in a minute. But, um, so, unexpectedly, at the Black Hat Conference, which is uh, an event that happens yearly in Las Vegas, and uh, People uh, give talks about security topics, sometimes in great depth. I spent some time with my eyes glazing over reading a really good uh, presentation uh, where an outfit uh, or sorry, some researchers rather had uh, reverse engineered everything they could figure out about secure enclave. Uh, the secure enclave part of modern iOS devices is the thing where when you do uh, touch ID training, the data goes in there. There's some issues with uh, credit card information. It also has uh, some information about the integrity of the operating system running. So when you boot, Secure Enclave is used to make sure that a legitimate uh, version of iOS is installed. And if it isn't, then it prevents it from booting. There's all these things. But Apple's released some detail, not a ton about Secure Enclave. And these researchers went through and uh, did an enormous amount of work to kind of poke at it and figure out what was going on. And it wasn't to crack it. It was more to show where vulnerabilities might lie, what Apple might be working on, how things have changed. And um, it's pretty technical, but it's a really great Present. I, I learned a lot about what Apple is trying to achieve, even if I don't follow all the specific programming details. But also at Black Hat, uh, along with these kinds of presentations about security flaws and how, oh, let's see, what was it? Uh, three quarters of all Bluetooth um, uh, locks, uh, Bluetooth-based uh, key, you know, like uh, door locks, right, are vulnerable to attack. Mm-hmm. Wasn't that one of them? And there's all these things coming out. Delightful. Uh, one of them was that Apple, uh, their uh, uh, one of their uh, security chiefs uh, uh, gave a talk at um, 
the event is uh, Ivan Khrushchev, I think is the name. Um, he used to be at uh, One Laptop Per Child uh, program. He's been at Apple for years. Anyway, he gave a talk about a bunch of Apple stuff. People are like, oh, that's great. This is the first time Apple's been back at Black Hat in four years. Uh, part of the opening of the kimono thing. They're talking more in public about stuff. And then he's like, oh, and we're going to do a bug bounty. And some press and researchers had been pre-disclosed under embargo. We were not. So I'm watching the news feed. I was about to finish up for the day. It's like Apple announces bug bounty. I'm like, okay, let's write up about that. Um, <laughs> like 4.30 Pacific. Uh, yeah, nice job. It was, wasn't like a Thursday or Friday too. I don't even remember. It was Thursday. I think it just came out of nowhere. I, I Such heard a some rumors that Apple was doing some security briefings, but they, uh, they do more of those these days. And some of them are obscure things. Some are future-looking. Some are beta-related. Um, they did just a general background a few months ago where they got a bunch of people to Cupertino and had a high-level meeting with unnamed people you know, in the company. And uh, it was sort of a frank exchange of ideas. And that was more like a seminar-ish sort of thing. Um, so you know, that this is happening much more regularly. And Apple typically lets the researchers talk about it just without attributing or direct quotation. So that's interesting too. In this case, they had uh, – Disclose some publications and a few people uh, like uh, Tidbits Rich Mogul, also writes for Macworld, about it ahead of time. So anyway, the bug bounty, um, it's just Apple was one of the notable exceptions of major companies who do stuff on the internet um, and have hardware products that didn't pay researchers for properly disclosing in advance uh, bugs of a critical nature. And there are mixed feelings about whether paying money is actually useful or not, um, because uh, the black market. If you're the kind of person who's going to sell your exploit to the black, to you know, to the highest bidder, Apple, Facebook, um, Google, and so forth are not outbidding you. The top rates paid for bugs in Apple's program are two hundred thousand uh, dollars. You can get hundreds of thousands, or sometimes a million dollars, or more, or sell it to multiple parties on the black market. So if you're only out for money, uh, you know. People, that's not going to necessarily change people with pecuniary impulses. However, for researchers who might be willing to uh, release the information before Apple has fully patched it, Apple pulling people into this program means, you know, a researcher could get $100, $500, $50,000, and they've also agreed to not release any information until Apple has released the patch. And I think that is maybe the crux of it, is to capture – people who are on the you know white hat side but don't like Apple's disclosure policies. Uh, and it's like, all right, well, look, here's more money for your work. You did a great job. And this protects Apple by having a contract in place. That's what I think, at least. Yeah, that sounds pretty reasonable. It's, um, it's in consumers' best interest to not have bugs out there before they've been patched or the information out, um, even though sometimes there are malicious parties who have already put the uh, defects into place. The problem is when a company like Apple, if they're really late in fixing something and the bugs are known, that's huge. And then you get into an issue of like, you know, is Apple acting responsibly? Sometimes that happens. Um, for the most part, Apple's doesn't have a lot of issues that are uh, exploited before they are repaired, you know, or someone will come up with a attack. There's a, what was it called? Thunder Strike. I forgot the name of it. It was a boot thing where because of how Thunderbolt devices load uh, drivers when you plug them in, you could actually just plug in malicious hardware into a random Mac and it could actually modify the boot process, <laughs> the boot firmware for your Mac. And uh, that's pretty bad. And I think yeah. the researchers there were peeved at Apple's progress. And I think they released some of the information well ahead of Apple patching everything. But the flip side is the exploit is proximate. You have to be next to the computer. I don't think they released the details of exactly how to do it. So they kind of upped the ante, but it wasn't like, okay, you know, use these five bytes and you can attack any Apple computer on the internet. It wasn't like that. So there was that. Um, won't affect, you know, bug bounty doesn't affect average users, except that it could mean that Apple will get better disclosure faster from researchers. And some people might actually put the effort into it because uh, there are folks who make a fair amount of money from bug bounty programs. You can, you know, sometimes companies will pay a hundred to $500 for something small, but you can get thousands to tens of thousands of dollars. If you come up with severe things, there's some researchers who are really good at it and they could be turning over hundreds of thousands of dollars a year just by participating in these programs. So uh, the more people you give an incentive to participate, that can also be better too for security. And as you point out in your article, mm -hmm. um, bad guys will pay for bugs. So the only thing that can stop bad guys paying for bugs <laughs> is good guys paying slightly more for bugs. So There's this whole thing, too. There's uh, some legislation that ostensibly prevents people in America from selling 
exploits other countries or other comp- you know or other or malicious parties outside the United States and all kinds of things. And that I think is still under discussion exactly how legal some of that is because there are companies in America that do sell exploits to they buy them and they sell them to whoever wants to. And uh, Kevin Mitnick, in fact, uh, at least last time I checked, was running such a company, and they don't necessarily. Have, uh, feel they have an obligation to check how it's going to be used because they sell to governments and other parties alike. Great stuff. Um, on to happier news. We have some random, little random stuff. TV. Oh, let's do our TV uh, stuff because uh, uh, I want to talk about that before we run out of time. Is um, there are different? Uh, we've been talking. Uh, you and I like to talk about uh, TV related issues, um, Apple TV and programming and. Uh, Big news this week is, uh, well, I guess it's not big, is it, that Hulu is not going to offer any free television anymore or any free streaming, right? That's not actually big news because it's been restricting it over time. I don't know how many people use Hulu for free stuff at all. Yeah, the free stuff seemed more like, a, you know, a free samples at the grocery store. Like you could kind of try to pig out on it, but it wouldn't really be as good as just going and buying yourself a cheeseburger. So yeah, they're they're cutting you off. No more free samples. Um, but Hulu is uh, I you know I pay for Hulu and I pay for the, the, the yeah the the, the um, paid Hulu used to be the upsell, but now paid Hulu is where it's going to start. And the upsell is they have these like add-on bundles. And no, I'm sorry, the add-on bundles are Amazon. I'm getting my oh, services oh, mixed right. up. Yeah, yeah. Hulu has the commercial-free stream. That's right. Few so that's their month. upsell now. Yeah. So it's it's like eight bucks just for you know the streams with commercials, and then it's I think it's thirteen or fourteen with uh, for the streams without commercials. And a, a few shows still have commercials, but the vast majority of the catalog it's would then stream commercial-free. So confusing to me too, though, because I I subscribed to Hulu Plus last fall briefly and i was like ah this isn't worth it and then they're like oh get a month for half off i'm like all right i'll stay one more month they tried to find more things I'm like i'm just not finding enough because a lot of the programs that you would think would be on hulu are still network owned so when i wanted to watch i want to say was it the magicians i can't remember which show it was i think i wound up buying the magicians which is on sci-fi uh and, or the expanse rather and then i wanted to watch magicians later and because uh, then uh, mr robot like all these shows wind up being um, exclusive for periods of time on mm-hmm. specific networks, right? So if you don't have a cable subscription, if you have a cable subscription, you could, until recently, you could watch Mr. Robot uh, through the, I forget what network it is on, not sci-fi, whatever network brand, Mr. Robot. Um, Mr. Robot's on USA, uh, I think. Oh, yeah. So you could use the uh, you could use the USA app, and if you had a cable subscription, you could plug it in. And it was actually being run by Hulu in the back because you could tell the commercial system oh. was the same. But I would watch Mr. Robot and there would be like 16 minutes of commercials to or 20 to like 40 minutes of content, right? It was driving mm. me out of my mind. Then and they show the same commercial over and over again. It oh, drives yeah. me crazy. If they were selling more. But I mean to have like a five-minute commercial block or four-minute commercial block in the middle is just – it's maddening. Um, so – uh, Mr. Robot wound up on Amazon Prime. I'm an Amazon Prime member, so I can watch it there without any commercials at all. So, uh, and I bought uh, the Magicians. I think I bought. Did I buy that, or did I watch that on the uh, Sci-Fi app? I bought uh, the Expanse, which was like 22 bucks the season because I just wanted to have it. I thought I'd watch it again. So I haven't been able to figure out whether Hulu is worth it because of all the restrictions of the the different yeah. partners. I mean, it has a bunch of companies own Hulu, right? There's a few different companies invested and they license content. And it's still not really clear to me like what it is as a service compared to Netflix or Amazon Prime. I could definitely get rid of it before I could get rid of Netflix or Amazon Prime. I remember when we decided to cut the cord, I think I made a list of all of the shows that I was currently TiVoing. Mm-hmm. And some of them I oh, just yeah. kind of stopped caring about. But at the beginning when I was trying to figure out, you know, if cord cutting was for us, I was like, well, what would it, what would we have to do to get, you know, all these shows or at least like, you know, a lot of these shows. And Hulu had a bunch of them. I was doing things like, you know, Amazing Race and The Daily Show and stuff like that but um yeah it seems like it has less i'm seeing they'll they'll put up a season kind of when it comes out on dvd but yeah those those shows that are owned by the networks you don't get the the every every episode you know a new one every week thing quite so much Um, they still have if, if you want if you watch a lot of stuff that's on like cbs or nbc 
or on Fox, like that might be on Hulu, but it's it's kind of slim pickings. And Netflix is really good and Amazon for like the old seasons. Like if I want to go back and rewatch Gossip Girl, which I do, you know, every year or two, um, those are gr- like Netflix and Amazon, I feel like are better for that. And then like Hulu has some movies, but not great. Again, they have commercials. Um, they don't have all the kids stuff. They have a few originals, but nothing. You're just like, oh, I got to watch that. Like, I don't know. Hulu's just kind of the. I don't know what they, I don't know the, what they are. Yeah. The, you know, so I, this might not be good for them. I don't know. When they switched the name of Hulu Plus, they dropped the plus and just call it Hulu. I guess we should have kind of seen this coming. It's the thing that's really maddening. We have talked about this many times. I'm sure listeners are tired of hearing about it, but also equally frustrated. So I'll bring it up is. This balkanization. And it's not like I'm telling everybody who creates, you know, video content, movies and TV, like, hey, you should you should get your act together and just make it available for free or for one fee or whatever. It's not like that. It's more that there was a strategy, which was cable companies kind of owned everything. Then there was like, OK, then there's secondary markets like Netflix and Hulu and uh, and a digital download. So it was sort of clear, like you want everything that's as it's coming out. And a DVR, so you can capture some of it. You just pay this, you know, fifty to one hundred and twenty dollar a year subscription for TV, and you get it all, and you filter it with your DVR. And DVRs will get better, and that'll be sort of the solution. Then it's like, okay, we're sort of post DVR now. Now we're in the streaming world, and you still are paying cable companies this huge amount of money, and you get the replay option for some shows, not all. Sometimes you need a special app. Then with that app, you're watching like 15 minutes of commercials because they're using the Hulu tech to, you know, even though I've already paid for the cable mm-hmm. and, you know, whatever, yeah. I'm getting more ads watching the replay than I would watching the so-called broadcast version. And then you have independent productions at Netflix and other company Amazon as they move away from this model of rebroadcasting or licensing content into something that has its own value by itself. So. I don't want to complain about the idea that there are business models that are, I mean, these aren't anti-consumer, like they're not trying to prevent us from doing things. Um, But it's more like it is now untenable. It's like how much money would you spend if you add programs across five or six networks, you could be spending a hundred to $150 a month to have all the subscriptions to watch everything you want to. And that's, we're sort of back in the cable game. So something's still got to give. There's, there's a more cracking in the network to come where there's going to be more um, analog or uh, more uh, a la carte options. And yeah, exactly. And Netflix yeah. by itself isn't that expensive. Amazon prime by itself isn't that Netflix expensive. It's is getting more expensive. It is. But I mean, let's say and, Nef- and Amazon prime has gotten more expensive. When it, I started, it was 80 bucks. Now it's a hundred bucks. But if I did Hulu, yes, yeah, true. But if I did Hulu, with no ads, Amazon and Netflix, I'm still only paying $30 per, um, you know, monthly. On but then a, you're still going to end up buying a couple season passes. I, well, um, yeah. I have a reviewer account for Sling, which I love and my husband has been loving. And he's like, man, if they ever cut off your reviewer account, we should just pay for it. And I'm like, honey, if we pay for that and oh my keep God. all the other stuff, well, we're once again paying the same amount we paid exactly. for cable. But we like it better. Like, I just don't want cable anymore. I don't want that much TV all at once in like a big just open pipe. I don't like it. I like my filters. I like my menus. I like, and you know, I could go back to DVR and just watch everything through that again. Yeah, DVR is sort of ineffective now because of the streaming options. You can't really DVR Netflix or Amazon Prime. So DVR, we did the time shifting. With Netflix and everything, we're doing the place shifting because people want it on all their devices. Yeah. What we haven't cracked yet is, yeah, like the the service shifting, like the provider shifting. That's the next thing that they need to figure out, like how you can – every person can customize their own, you know, menu of their, their own stories. They can watch the stories and make it as convenient and painless as well, possible, like they did with music. Like music, you don't have to – now, I'm, yes, there are some exclusives, but for the most part, if you are a Google person, you can buy your music from Google. If you're an Apple person, you can get it from Apple. It's the same music. You don't have to like jump between services to hear this album and that album because that would be bananas, but that's still sort of what we have on the TV side, so they need to fix that. But the music streaming world, the problem with music streaming is that it generates so little relative – revenue relative to other means that that's you know that's the thing is TV and movies are expensive to make, um, not and just because of salaries. they're being tight because they see how Apple just, you know, made yeah. the best deals ever with these music companies, and they're afraid of like screwing up on that big a scale with their precious, precious content. I agree. I think, but I think we're in the middle of another flux. Like I thought we were coming to. I thought there was a point like Netflix was going to be dominant 
and there'd be a few other players and we'd all sort of wind up circling around them and we'd be able to like, all right, well, if you want to watch second run stuff, you just a little bit of first run they make and some first run they license and second run things, you know, TV series that are a year or two old, you just wait and it'll all be on Netflix. And then that strategy has exploded. And we're in a Cambrian explosion again, tons of diversity. It's not clear what's going to win. Everything's in flux and, you know, we'll all have to live through it. I just, I'm not going to spend 70 to $150 a month for video entertainment for just for streaming access, right? Like I might be willing to spend somewhere in the, you know, 50 to $100 range. If you include, uh, you know, my share of a movie ticket, like not family, you go out with the family and it's 50 bucks now, unfortunately. But let's say, um, I, don't know. I would love to only spend 50 bucks <sighs> at the movies. Like that's a steal. Well, but so, but you I guess be going at like nine in the morning. Well, I shouldn't. Yeah. Well, <laughs> my kids don't like a lot of different kinds of films. It's a problem. So I got to go see them by myself, but I shouldn't say that. Let's say excluding films, but like if oh, all that the, sounds heavenly, all the video <laughs> entertainment, they'll get older eventually. I saw Ghostbusters by myself because I couldn't a movie by yourself. Oh, I know. Man. It was great. I went to see the, I, I had Someday. credit left over. Here's a quick side tip. If you use Fandango um, and you're, uh, I forget if it's Royal Crown. Uh, I think I have a gift certificate. I should just call in sick, not tell my go. family, and no just go listen. watch movies all Your day. Your boss doesn't listen to this podcast. No, um, no one the, listens to the podcast. The, there is a, a Fandango has this deal, and I forget if it's Royal, the Royal uh, Cinema, whatever. There's a, there's a local one that I really like. I go to uh, the theater. It's a newer one. They have free parking, and it's a national change, uh, chain. And uh, they have this deal where if you sign up for their club or you do the Fandango sign up, they're they're linked together. When you can't go, as long as you uh, cancel two hours ahead of time, they will refund your money less the service fee or they will uh, bank the entire amount, including the service fee, and you can use it again. You don't lose Ooh. your movie tickets. Nice. You can't go, I know. Isn't that amazing? How do you? I have kids. You know this problem. How do you? Anyway, so – our theater has this app. They have a phone app, and you install the phone app, and then at a certain time, it'll say, "Okay, turn on the app." And you turn on the app, and it will like silence your phone and dim your screen. Oh, and hilarious. if you keep it, and if you keep it on for the whole movie, at the end, you get like a coupon for like a free popcorn next time. That is sort of brilliant. And that's their like high tech way to try to keep people from being jerks. At oh the my movie. god! Though and I didn't go to the movies for years. I was just uh, like yeah. you know I would stay home. But now I have a little kid, and he he's old enough to go to the movies and he loves going to see the kids movies so we've gone to like Kung Fu Panda 3 and uh, Zootopia and stuff so um, yeah it's 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 funny how the experience has changed it's uh, yeah I'm sorry I got us off the track there but it's it's true the yeah, experience we digressed is, but we just saved you some money folks if you're listening but I think that app was kind of I'll, I'll try it next time I haven't tried it yet uh, but so but the, the thing is that monthly fee is like I got the reason we cut the cord uh, years ago I want to say it was 10 or more years ago maybe um, we cut the cord so I got a Mac mini I got a $500 computer and plugged it into a TV set and I was doing whatever we need to watch we you know We'd we had a DVD player in it. We'd just use it as our home entertainment system. And I replaced it a couple times uh, or at least once with a new Mac mini after it died. And then eventually I just didn't need a Mac mini at all. I stream over Apple play or airplay. I have an Apple TV. I've got a Samsung that does uh, Amazon and Netflix on it built in. Uh, and the Amazon interface is not bad. Um, Amazon prime works with it, but this is the thing uh, we didn't want to, you know, our bill started creeping up to $70 a month for video. And we're like, we don't, we don't, consume enough mm -hmm. relative to the value to spend a thousand dollars a year so i don't want to try to consume enough. yeah so as like, we, we were trying but like uh, that's what the cable companies that's what all they all want from us is like a thousand yeah. to two thousand dollars a year but i'm like i am willing to spend money in a more tar like i am more willing to buy something i bought um barnes and noble had this ridiculous blowout sale maybe i mentioned this in a previous episode but a few months ago where they had a 40 to 50% off all DVDs and Blu-rays, all of them, plus a 30% coupon. If you found it, you could use it and it applied plus free shipping. So you were getting sometimes 70 to 80% off the cost of Blu-rays and DVDs. So I bought a ton of stuff, things that I'm like, I know, I, you know, I had an older version, uh, Lord of the Rings and DVD and the DVD looks kind of crummy on a 1080p. To be honest, I bought the entire new director's edition set on Blu-ray for $25 with a discount. I'm like, all right, that's where I'm going to spend my money. Um, and I bought, a, I bought a couple movies I wanted to see and it was about $4 to get them in this sale versus a $4 rental. And I'm like, well, I think I'll watch these two or three times. So yeah, I buy more movies now too. I'm willing, I know there's a whole, it's a very interesting thing. Uh, people are buying media again because they want to keep it and they want to transfer it, loan it, sell it. And that is a, and they want access all the time. They don't want to be limited, especially Blu-ray has so much more 
you know, bandwidth effectively well, than most people have. I'm buying digitally, but, oh, but you're buying yeah, I, but you're buying and downloading them. Well, as long as you download, right. you well, have so access. Well, like when to, I had cable, it was just kind of like you know, there's movies. It was all sort of like bundled. And now that I'm, yeah, I would spend the same amount of money I was spending on cable, but I like how you said it, um, just targeted. You know, I want to pick and choose my exact thing. You know, the things that make me happy. It's like when people are talking about like their tax dollars, they're like, oh, I don't like my tax money going to this stuff I don't support. And it's like, you know, you, you might be happier to pay slightly more taxes if you could earmark exactly what it went to. And that's how a la carte streaming mm-hmm. has been for me. I'm like, you know, I want my entertainment dollars going to Real Housewives and nothing but Real Housewives. No, just kidding. But anyway, so I have my my services I subscribe to, but then I'm buying thing. I'm buying more movies a la carte. Like, and it's, some of that is just that I'm using the Apple TV, so that movie store is right there, and I'll go in and see what's on sale. And if like you know, I got Ghost the original Ghostbusters for like five bucks once because they have these like crazy sales all the time. Oh yeah, they had uh, real uh, the uh, that show that uh, John Syracuse likes so much. Uh, it's uh, my crazy ex girlfriend. Is that what it's called? Right. Yes. Yeah. So they had. Um, or your your crazy ex girlfriend, whatever it's called. That one wonderful performer. I I got the the whole entire first season or X episodes were free over one week on an iTunes, like nice. free. You but you had to quote buy them for zero dollars and you own them. And I think they're trying to you know get people interested in a new series. Somebody underwrote it, I'm sure. I mean the network or um, Apple or someone did that to try to to spark interest and make it yeah, a they new. They have different things like on Earth Day. Um, you, you know, uh, an inconvenient truth was free. Um, right now for the Olympics, the Jesse Owens biopic race oh. is like four ninety nine. Oh, that's cool. Um, so yeah, like they they do. Like I got the Godfather trilogy, the whole trilogy, all three. God, I know there's only two Godfather movies, but I got all three of them for like $10 once. So anyway, yeah, I am buying more movies and partly that's because yeah, I'm like I'm I'm building my little library while I have kind of my streaming stuff on the side and I wasn't doing that with cable. I would just watch whatever was on cable, which means you know, I'd watch Clueless all the time cuz that's on cable all the time. Great film. It's uh, fun. Well, this is the curation thing. And so the the other bit of news related to this is that Apple uh, – well, sort of two related things. One is I wanted to point out the hilarious Wall Street Journal story that was basically written by cable executives complaining about Eddie Q's outfit when he met with them <laughs> to uh, – I mean that was a couple weeks ago. But was it was really funny. It was such a – it was such an article. It was like who was who were the sources for this leaked story? It's like only cable executives because they're like, they showed up wearing sandals and blue jeans as if he had come up off the beach. Oh, how terrible in our, you know, up across uh, cable boardrooms. Um, so that was sort of a funny telling thing. But it, Apple tried to cut deals that were the kind of deals they cut elsewhere. And the cable industry is like, before, no, what? And um, said no, because they feel like they're in the catbird seat. But as we know, Apple, uh, sometimes they misjudge where things are at. I really uh, think these guys are just terrified to deal with Apple. Oh, yeah, God. Of... I mean, they see what happened to the music industry. Exactly. And they don't want it to happen. Although, you know, music industry... It's not like it collapsed. It just changed a lot. They lost control. It's so, just more revenue streams. Like it's yeah. just, it's the same money from a different place. Like just moving it around, just follow the money. But here's the thing. So the story that came out a few days ago is um, after that piece uh, broke is that the, instead of Apple, you know, so we were waiting for Apple to offer a bundling thing like Sling. And yeah, we've been this, talking about that for years. And also you mentioned Sling before. People who are interested in an alternative, like Sling has a lot of great options now. Like they are now very, I mean, it's expensive. It just redid their little bundles yeah they're i mean the pricing is uh i would say it's reasonable for cable it's not what i want to pay i don't watch enough but i'm getting local channels through my sling all of a sudden it's the whole thing is very interesting sling is sling is definitely figuring out sling is the new cable sort of um but they haven't quite gotten there yet, I think. But they're, but anyway, people should look at Sling if you haven't looked at them in a while because it's I'm changed. I'm going to do a Sling guide for Apple TV users. Oh, you I'm should totally do that. Right but, so the, but so here's the thing. The um, uh, Apple, we thought Apple was going to launch a Sling-like thing, basically. I mean, it sounded very much like a what Sling, sling is. Like thing. A Sling-like thing. And then it didn't happen. And we're like, well, something went wrong, whatever. It didn't, didn't happen. And then um, what ultimately has come out is that Apple couldn't cut these deals. And uh, we have a story uh, this last week that ran about uh, what Apple is doing uh, in terms of making a TV guide. Uh, Oscar wrote a story, uh, oh gosh, almost a week ago, I think it was a few days ago, about um, a guy that'll look a lot like the Yahoo guide, which is really good, that lets you figure out where you can watch things based on what's installed. So you'll have a um, tvOS or iOS guide, you'll bring it up and it'll essentially give you a interface for uh, what you can watch on the different apps. 
And I think that's great. Like it's not exactly great, but so if you have Netflix installed and uh, uh, TV, you know, you'll have single sign on, right? So you'll be able to authenticate your cable service. You'll have various apps installed for all the different, you know, things like sci-fi or, or whatever. Um, and uh, then you'll be able to see what you can watch. And so I assume it's going to have both search and browse, all right? Because some stuff will be available only at certain times. Not everything's available simultaneously, but um, it'll just be uh, – a way to pull it up. So anyway. Yeah, I've been using Yahoo TV Guide a lot more. It's a really good app for iOS. If you guys haven't tried it, you yes. should get it. Um, because, yeah, so it'll know. It actually looks at your phone to see which services you have installed. But if you just don't, you know, watch Netflix on your phone, you can be like, oh, I have Netflix. And, yeah, it'll sh- tell you what's on where. Um, but it's, it's you know, it's only on your phone. So if Apple did one that was on your phone and on your TV and was kind of, you know, a little uh, shortcut to, to find stuff, um, it would be cool to have that interface on the TV. It would also sort of feel a little bit like a defeat because that's kind of the promise of this like <laughs> Siri universal voice search that just doesn't, it, you know, is neither universal um, nor voice search. But because um, that's been frustrating with me. I don't like using it. Like, so my son wanted to watch, you know, that that movie Home with the little alien and Rihanna and their friends. Anyway, it's a kids movie. It's sure. a cartoon movie. It's no, called actually, Home. Oh, you cannot search for this movie by voice. I'm like age. Home, and it just goes to the home screen. I'm like the movie Home, and it's like Home movie, and it's trying to search for all this stuff. I had to finally just search for like Rihanna movies, and that was the way to find it. But yeah, I don't know. I don't like voice search, and so they they gotta. Uh, yeah, it's it's gonna feel like a an extra thing, and it's, a, a, you know, a rehash of what Yahoo's already done. So I I hope it's better than than what this. Um, these rumors made it sound like. Well, we'll see. You know, they, they um, Apple has a mixed record in some of the software they're putting out. Um, just a good segue, just a last discussion about the uh, Apple TV remote app, which we talked about briefly oh, last yes. week. It came out. Uh, we didn't have a chance to talk about it last week. And you know, the basic, I wrote a uh, kind of review-ish thing of it, and it's essentially Siri remote as an app with the added advantage of text entry um, and a bigger touch area as well. So, um, and the big thing I think with the, uh, oh, so so you the funny part with it, this is the thing I wanted to mention because people were confused about this. When you hold down the Siri button in the app, it relays it from the phone to the Apple TV for processing. Um, so it's not doing local dictation. If you're on a, if you're in a country in which dictation is supported and Siri remote is not yet supported, so they sell you a Siri remote and Apple TV, but it's not enabled for voice recognition, mm-hmm. um, then you, it will use dictation for the text entry fields from your phone. I know, isn't that wild? The other thing is people have said, I can't find this. They're trying to find it with their iPad. It's not iPad native yet, which is also weird. Um, um, so you cannot search on the App Store on your iPad to download it, which is weird. Well, there's a – when you search for the for iPhone apps on the App Store for iPad, it defaults to like the – you know, searching for iPad apps only. But there's a little – there's a switcher and you can switch to search for iPhone it's apps. True. Someone and said you it, can actually find and install someone iPhone Someone said apps. it didn't show up for them there either. Really? So maybe well, That's maybe, messed up. Well, it, maybe they didn't do it right or – it's Apple did an additional thing to prevent people from being disappointed and maybe didn't let it show up there because it's Apple. So they could suppress their own apps. If you can't do that. The best way to find iPhone apps is to, to to find apps is not to search the app store. It's to open up Safari and Google (laughs) name of app and then the word iTunes. And the first result will be the iTunes store thing. And then that will launch the thing. I like that. I was trying to use the app store search the other day on my iPhone and it says searching and it was just frozen. Like I quit the, I quit the App Store app, relaunched it. Uh, George Dow, our friend George Dow, writes for iMore. She just tweeted this thing last night, the screen capture. It's saying, uh, can't find, quote, App Store, unquote. You might want to search the App Store to find App Store and then a link that said App Store because Siri oh. it literally had App Store spelled correctly and it couldn't open the App Store when she said that. So App Store called and they're running out of you. <laughs> <laughs> oh, all right. So but Apple TV remote. Uh, people should download it if they want to. It's a good. It's a replacement for the remote app, which will continue to exist for iTunes control and for first, uh, second, and third generation uh, uh, Apple TVs. The new app will control second, third, and fourth generation Apple TVs. So the last, the current one, and the last two before that, uh, and the Siri features and the touchpad obviously only work on the newest Apple TV. Um, is Here, there a watch OS? Uh, not yet. And here's the other thing that's funny is the <sighs> just like, so your Apple TV can use the standard called HDMI CEC, HDMI CEC, um, to, 
to control multiple devices. So things that are plugged together with HDMI, you can uh, this standard. Uh, it's kind of crummy, but it lets you do things like have a TV set remote control, talk to the receiver to control its remote volume if the volume is coming through receiver, blah, blah, blah. So the Apple TV, if it's plugged into the receiver, is supposed to be able to control and you have HDMI CAC enabled, SAC enabled, um, it should work. And so then your iPhone, you use the volume up, down physical buttons on the iPhone as your volume control for your set while you're using the remote. So I couldn't get this to work even though I thought I had it enabled. Siri, the actual physical Siri remote has infrared and Wi-Fi built in. So if it can't do this HDMI control system, it will use infrared. So I thought I was using uh, HDMI sec. I was not. I put my hand over the infrared and it doesn't work. So that's the easy point. Yeah, because on my Siri remote, all the buttons work if you're not pointing the remote at the TV. But a lot of times, the vol- maybe all the time, the volume so button, you have to be pointing it at the TV. And so I it's using to, IR in that case. Yeah, maybe. And, I go, and it's invisible, which is a great feature that you don't necessarily know that. But that's why. So it's other people. Ha- so I go to the Make configuration. So seamless. I had no idea. Yeah, I didn't know either. I thought I was because my TV says HDMI sec. The video display shows up. I have my uh, receiver configured that way. The TV and the receiver talk to each other correctly. The DVD, the Blu-ray, they all talk to the receiver correctly. And I have my Apple TV. I thought I had it set up. I go to the Apple TV configuration and it claims it can't do it, which I didn't realize. It's like on auto and locked. So that's the one missing part. You can't do volume from your uh, remote if that doesn't work. And some people who said they tested and they know their physical Siri remote is using the HDMI control mechanism, their phone won't do it, even though it should. In other cases, people were able to get both to work. Their remote, their uh, physical remote uses it and the Apple TV, they can use the volume buttons. That's the only thing that's been confusing so far. And I assume there may be some bugs or maybe there needs to be a firmware update or it may just be the vagaries of this weird standard that is based there. Um, so here's my, the thing that I realized writing the review, I was like, why is this a big deal? Is it a big deal that Apple finally released it? The deal is it means that you get multiple controllers for games without having to buy more $80 Siri remotes. But a touchscreen, like flat controller, mm-hmm. how is the experience? That seems like it would be the worst possible well, controller for no, a good game. Compared to if you're, if the controller bit is uh, a Siri remote. Well, there's two things. One is if you're using games or things in which you're just using the touch, you're using the Siri remote control anyway. So you have a tiny touch area so and on the Mac. buttons. Well, yeah, but you don't need the buttons for everything. If you have a, if you have a force touch works, you actually get 3D touch feedback for certain kinds of tasks too on if you have a 3D touch phone. But I haven't figured out exactly which tasks, but that may be something they're developing over time too. Then you could have the haptic feedback at least. The, the app has a game controller mode that I think... So if you tap this game controller for apps that support it, it goes into um, landscape mode. And then right. you get a touch controller for your left hand and an A and X button uh, on the right. But um, I'm not... It's just like when you're gaming on a TV, you're looking at the TV, you know? So like a controller, even a Siri controller, you've got, you know, you've got the thumb pad. It's mm-hmm. just a touch, a touch thing, but you have buttons. I don't know. I think it would be hard for me to just be tapping on a flat pane yeah, of glass while per, I'm looking at the TV. It costs 80 bucks per remote for additional Siri remotes. And this could be, you already have an Apple, you know, an iPod touch sitting around. You've got an iPhone. Uh, I think it reduces the cost for families who want to be able to do certain kinds of gaming. Other games you're going to get the controller. What's going to change in the fall too is with iOS 10, you no longer, uh, game developers are no longer required to make everything work with Siri remote. So when mm-hmm. that happens, that's going to change gaming as well. I think that's been yeah. a restrictive factor. And a lot of developers are like, why would I, develop a game that reads a controller that I have to work on this weird little thing that nobody wants to use to play games with, um, that'll change as well. So, well, I think we have exhausted, I think it's time to turn the TV set off and, uh, yeah, let's go outside and play. Let's go outside and play. It's time for best, right? It's uh, Pokemon go time now. Pokemon. Yep. Uh, Susie, great to talk to you as always. Yes, always a pleasure. A pleasure. And folks, if you want to reach us, you know how to find us, macworld.com. Find the post for this podcast, leave us comments, or send email to podcast at macworld.com. You can also find us on the Twitter machine. I am at Glenn F, G-L-E-N-N-F. Susie can be found very easily at SF Suze. That's S-F-S-O-O-Z. Um, Susie, I'm double just going to double O Z, double double letter O Z. You can find us there. And uh, thanks again, as always, for listening. There'll be surely more news as August proceeds, and we'll be back next week to talk about it. 